Hey, Forge family. Last week, podcast number three took us into James chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. In that text, James makes direct references to the trials that the poorer, disadvantaged believers in Jesus had. See, they were, they were cut off from the synagogue system that helped other Jews with loans, jobs, clothing, food, housing, etc. Because these believers in Jesus as Messiah were excluded from that local care system. James gently commands those poor ones to rejoice, to glory in the high position that was theirs in Christ as sons and daughters of the risen king. And James moved on to address temptation, clearly stating that God is never the source. He himself is untemptable and therefore cannot and will not lay a trap or snare for us to fall into. James is warning all about the powerful desires to go with the flow of temptation, the desire of self-exaltation, the draw of personal gratification, and that of grasping at safety at the expense of what's right. And James described the life cycle of sin, how we get baited into wrong choices taking wrong actions on our wrong desires, and then, whoop, there's sin. Deception is one of Satan's most effective tools and ploys. And James strongly urges us to not allow ourselves to be deceived. Instead, we're to focus on the Father of lights who gives good gifts that come down from above. Finally, James added this business about we're first fruits. Verse 18, we're first fruits. That means there's a promise of a vast harvest to come. Okay, Forge, let's pray. Father of lights, you are our heavenly Father as well. And it is your desire that we walk before you in joy, even in trials, even in temptation so that we may reflect your light, your goodness, and your generosity. Thank you that you sent Holy Spirit to equip us for that journey. We rejoice. Amen. All right, family, as we turn to the passage of James this week, let me encourage you, get out a notebook, find a pen, open a Bible. All that discipline is designed to help you draw on heaven's resources Make it a living word to you and be ready to share your discoveries with others. So, we begin. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Let's read it. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers, who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, 
not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If any of you thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. All right, family. Verse 19. Now, James begins with a strong imperative. He's sort of in your face again. Um, this you know. You, you got this. Okay? Also be expanded to be, be aware of these things. Okay? He's reaching back into verse 18, just, just before it, where God brought us forth. He birthed us by the word of truth. And then James plunges into this proverb that follows. Now, the rhythms and content of which closely match the widespread Jewish wisdom teaching and literature. More gently now, okay? He, he's, he's wrapped his arm around your shoulder again, and he says, let everyone be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. Several times in our marriage, Jan and I have taken dance classes. My wife loves to dance. She's really good at it. Ballroom, tap, rock. She loves it. And I go out and I stand on that floor, befuddled by the rhythm and overwhelmed with awkwardness. Even the Arthur Murray-style dance lessons did not stick in my mind. And I would be doing the quick, quick, slow. And Jan would be doing the slow, quick, quick. And we would get all tangled up. Again and again. Until finally, one of my brothers, who I'm deeply grateful for, they would come and cut in and whisk Jan away with laughter in her eyes and joy on her face. So here, back in the text of James, the rhythm here is quick, slow, slow. And it's a command. He says, you be quick, exclamation point, to hear, to listen, to lay down your agenda and focus on others. You know, love your brother more than you love yourself in that moment, okay? And listen to what they are saying. Essentially, the text says, hurry up and listen. Secondly, be slow, exclamation point, exclamation point, you know, to, to, to speak your piece, your responses, your insights. The text here includes a sense of hesitation and delay. Honestly, most of us reverse the order of, that, of those first two commands. We're quick to speak and we're slow to listen. Now, finally, the proverb says, be slow, exclamation point, to anger. Now, note, this is not referring to the infrequent outbursts of frustration, but rather a deep-seated wrath and rage, a settled anger, a settled indignation that has been nursed and repeatedly fed. That makes this anger James refers to a special danger to believers because it can be privately nurtured. Now, verse 20 continues the same sentence, actually. It's it just stating that that anger, that deep wrath, that simmering indignation does not, cannot achieve and will, will not accomplish and do the righteousness of God. There is no wiggle room here. 
Verse 21, beginning with therefore, or as a result, it says, be laying aside, having put off, or be putting aside all filthiness. Hmm. Now here the Greek word for filthiness is unique. It's only here in the New Testament. It's ruparia. And James knows it refers to sordidness. It is not just outward grime and dirt, but inner moral defilement. That dirt in a man or woman leads to moral bad behavior and becoming tainted by evil. I have a book by Rick Renner that I looked at this week entitled Sparkling Gems from the Greek. And it's one of his, in one of his uh, blog style lessons, he tells the story of a man who came frequently to his church. This man had never been taught, nor did he ever practice, hygiene. And he arrived week by week by week, soiled, greasy, stained, and stinky. Really bad stinky. Finally, Rick and his wife took him home, allowed him to shower and shave in their bathroom. Okay, And as the man emerged from that steamy room, that man made as if to immediately put on all his filthy clothes again. Rick's side comment was aimed at some believers who come to repent, but whose lifestyle is wrapped around them and held tight. And it too is stinky. Looking back some 46 years ago, Jan and I were seated. Uh, we knew each other. We had dated each other a couple of times, but we were, we were pastoral interns in the same program at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto during the Jesus Movement, and we'd been invited into the home of Dick Hillis. He was a missionary statesman who had been a missionary in mainland China and Taiwan before founding uh, a mission organization called Overseas Crusades. He was talking at length about lessons he had learned in China. Now, Jen and I were not really very aware at that point that the leaders at Peninsula Bible Church at that time were, were cessationist, uh, which means they really didn't um, engage at all with any of the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and in the middle of this conversation... One of us, uh, one of the other interns, tossed out a question that dealt with demons and demonic oppression. And what did Dick, what did Dick Hillis think about that? Um, Dick looked up, tried to catch the eye of some of the leaders who were looking right at the carpet. And um, he, then he jumped back in and he said, "Well, uh, he had seen many in China who were physically foul in dress or in body." or in speech, or in lifestyle. And he said that for, the, for him, that pointed to an inner torment that, was ex, that, they, that those people were experiencing. It was, it was an inner moral cesspool and an inner life of demonic control. Now, James wants us and his listeners to lay off all that Stuff, that filthiness, anything that remained from a former lost state, described by James as wickedness, 
you know, from a word that can also mean malice, uh, general inclination of witches, that you have the capacity and the inclination to harm others. James says, you strip it off of you. Lay it aside. Paul wrote about taking off the old and putting on the new. Here, James says, just drop that stuff. Get it off of you. He continues in the middle of verse 21 to say, and, and, and then after, after saying, drop all that filthy stuff, he says, in humility, receive the word that was implanted in you. Hmm. Well, humility here is a nearly untranslatable Greek word. There's no English equivalence for it. It's, it was, it's prauteti, which acts as, as a hinge. Okay, This word is used as gentleness. It's used of serenity joined with power and of power under control. A scholar, W.E. Vine, says prautes is that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting him. Blomberg and Kamel state that it is impossible to receive a transformed life, a new nature, unless one displays an attitude of humility. See, in the Greco-Roman world, humility was used as, as abject weakness. But in the kingdom of God, it is a virtue. James is not commanding that we be doormats, milksops, wimpy and submissive. But that word humility includes the sense of being teachable. The word implanted, on the other side of that hinge, okay, it's, it's unique here in the scripture, okay, only appears here in James. Okay, so when we by faith ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior and begin to walk with him, we will be asked to obey over and over, to take off the old and rely on the implanted word of truth, to put it on, to wear it proudly, with the result that it will save your souls. Years ago, there was a flyer called My Heart, Christ's Home by Bob Munger. Uh, Bob actually had a stint of ministry here on the peninsula south of San Francisco. And he pictures... Jesus coming to the door of your life, if you will, knocking on the door and, in, and asking to be invited in. Keyword, invited. Okay, But when he comes in, what does he see? What does he smell? There's piles of stuff. There's, there's dirty linen. There's uh, dirty laundry. There's dirty dishes. There's, there's chaos in some cases. Okay, or there's the wrong kind of books, or there's a program playing on television that you just kind of go, oh, excuse me, Lord, I got to shut that one off. You know, and he begins then as your savior to say, would you please give me that book? Would you please give me that television? Would you please, you know, in other words, he, he requests of us to turn over to him that portion of our life that is of the past and is controlling us. Here again, James is doing much the same thing, all right? But he's saying, as you, as you turn off all that old stuff and you lay it aside, take off the old, rely on the implanted word of truth, you put it on, okay, the result will be it will save your souls. That word here for save is sozo. It's a Greek word for made alive. 
to be rescued, to be delivered from bondage, oppression, and disease. You want to know what salvation is? It's all of those things. You're made alive, you're rescued, you're delivered from bondage, oppression, and disease. Then you're saved. In verse 22, James sets us a lifestyle path of being word doers. You hear what the scripture says, you hear what God is saying, and you do that thing. This is set in, the, in sharp contrast to those who just hear and passively listen. Those who sort of audit their relationship with Jesus. The Greek word is akroetes. You may know of some church folk who go from conference to conference, meeting to meeting, crusade to crusade, almost like groupies of the rock band age. And those who want the latest insight and the latest story. But once they hear it, they walk away untouched, unmoved, and unchanged. Akroetes also means a hearer of forgetfulness. Now, James is building here on the teaching of Jesus. You know, it, it got his heart, and so he's including much of that here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. See, James is walking in the footprints of the teaching of Jesus. He knows that those who hear and do not act on the word of truth it again. Those who hear and do not act on the word of truth, they are the ones who deceive themselves. In verse 23, James draws on an illustration. Now, in the ancient world, there were no silvered glass mirrors hung on the walls. Okay? There were only highly polished metal pieces that would uh, give you a somewhat blurred and short-focused reflection of yourself. They were laid out on a flat horizontal surface, and you'd bend over and gaze into them to try and see if you had your hair in disarray or your fa- if your face was dirty. These metal mirrors pointed to external observations of your appearance. Now, James describes a person, the one, who looks at their birth face, goes, hmm, walks away and immediately forgets what they looked like. Immediately forget what kind of person that they are. When they look in that kind of mirror. My Greek lexicon says forgotten. Okay, it's not um, that it's not just fee, uh, for, uh, let me start again. That the word forgotten is not just failing to remember, but to allow something to escape by inattention or neglect. The hearers of scripture being read in synagogues or hearing James' letter read in a house gathering, were split, maybe not down the middle, but they were split. Some of them hear and do, and some hear and forget.
in verse 25, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the perfected law, the completed law, is like a child. You know, this is the, the word sense in the Greek. It's like a child who bends over at the waist to get a good look at a bug. Okay? The same one who is intent on this law, this liberty, and it lives in me. It lives in me. It settles in me. It's reality of freedom in Christ. Okay? That means they're not become acroetes, the forgetful listeners, but instead becoming a word doer. Now, James says, the one who does that is blessed. See, what you hear in holy settings must be lived in a very unholy marketplace. So when you look intently at or into the law of liberty, you remain, you stay, you focus there because it will make you an activist, a doer of work in Jesus' name. Next, James takes on the religious crowd. Those who appear to others, or those who think of themselves in that way, that they are threskos. Okay, that's a Greek word for devoted to God. It means religious. Okay, they're devoted to God, expressed in rites, liturgy, and forms of worship. And yet, that one religious practitioner who does not bridle or control their tongue. They're deceiving their own heart. See, their form of religion, their threskos, okay, their practices of beliefs are worthless, idle, of no use, empty, fruitless, powerless, and lacking in truth. So what happens when you fail to control your tongue? What pours out is profanity, slander, angry words, Gossip, lying, criticism, smut, and on and on. And James uses the illustration of the kind of control that a metal piece, a rod, or a plate that's inserted into the back of a horse's mouth, attached to reins, okay, that it should have complete control over the animal when you have a grip on the reins. Okay? For the one who will not Control, control their tongue, that wipes away all pretension of religiosity and leaves them deceived. Now, this is the third time that James has referred to being deceived here in the first chapter. It's a problem, family. James ends chapter 1 with verse 27. A sharp contrast of religion for those who control the tongue, who are not deceived, but rather embrace and express with purity a religion acceptable in the sight of God our Father. James here uses terms drawn from ritual worship, but refer to moral purity. And then James gets very specific. Two lines, okay? So if all those above qualities have become real in your faith walk, and that real religion involves visiting orphans and widows in their distress. Now obviously, in the synagogue system, uh, the orphans and widows were the least and the last. Okay, they were unable to work, unable to support themselves, being unrelated to any of the su supporting family in the region. They were cut off from any aid from the Jewish community. 
James says, number one, get alongside those needy ones and care for them. And then James continues, making it clear that social care of the needy, what we call social justice, is not enough. It's not sufficient to confirm true, pure religion. He continues with a second crucial expression of pure religion. And there follows the phrase, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says, heaven requires that we keep ourselves pure. Pure in the midst of the fallen world system around us. That's the word cosmos. Okay? It refers to the sphere of the world system around us. Okay? There. Right there is a perfect example of, quote, being in the world, but not of the world. Unquote. James leaves us with attention. A search for balance, if you will, on how to hold social concerns and practice them while we hold secure our personal purity before God. It's a both-and family. All right, Forge. My question to you is, what is the 21st century equivalent today of care and relationship with widows and orphans? What's that look like? How do we become word doers with that expression of the life of Christ? And secondly, how do we keep pure when we're surrounded by those whose tongue is unbridled and whose, mo- excuse me, and whose moral compass is broken? Say it again. Okay? What's the 21st century equivalent today of care and relationship with those widows and orphans? And how does that look? How do we become word doers with that expression of the life of Christ? And secondly, okay, how do we keep pure when we're surrounded by those whose tongue is unbridled and whose moral compass is broken? So run to Jesus and ask him. When we're next together, we want to share what he said, and then we want to do it. Let's pray. Lord, you moved James by Holy Spirit to write, command, encourage, and lead. Such are some of us. Please lead us along the path of being activist, word doers and along the path of purity. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.